0: That's Zayn Malik, British singer and ex-boy band star, and he's singing there in Urdu. When Randa Abdel-Fattah was working on her PhD a few years ago, she was simultaneously writing her 11th book called When Michael Met Mina. Some people are just too capable for my liking. When Michael Met Mina is a young adult novel about two year 11 students who meet on opposite sides of an anti-refugee rally. Michael's the son of Aussie Values party members, while Mina, who came from Afghanistan to Australia with her mum as a refugee, wins a scholarship to Michael. Michael's Private School. The book won the 2017 Victorian Premier's Literary Award Prize for Writing for Young Adults as well as the People's Choice Award. Here's Runda Abdel-Fattah speaking with Jennifer Wong at last year's Sydney Writers' Festival. They're in the western Sydney suburb of Parramatta.
1: What does it mean to talk about your book when Michael met Mina in Parramatta?
2: It's amazing. Um, yesterday I had a session and I was speaking to schools that were mainly from the western suburbs. And, um, you know, the questions are different. And I, and I really, really say that very sincerely because I've spoken about the my books and particularly when Michael McMeaner, um, you know, in eastern suburbs and around Sydney. And the questions here were, so can you tell us when we are the victims of racism, what should we do? How should I speak back to racism? Um, you know, th- there was an affinity there, there was an, an experience, a lived experience that I feel was very, very different to the sort of things that uh, matter to people who are living in other suburbs and other f- parts of Sydney, because of the way that we tend to frame the Western suburbs of Sydney around issues of race and class. And, and so that, that really resonates with the students, I
1: think. So what do you say when someone asks you, you know, it's after a session, they put their hand up in front of all their peers, um, some of whom may have been the perpetrators of the actual racism. What's your response in a moment like that?
2: I tell them, uh, I respond to them based on my own sort of experience and journey and learning journey, which is that when I first started to get involved in anti-racism work, particularly after September 11, it was a kind of activism based on... Um, speaking back to racism, defining myself against the racist, um, being apologetic, ex- explanatory, trying to prove my humanity. And, and I've realised now that that is a very... Um it's, it's not only uh, not going to work, like strategically wrong, but it is dehumanising and it is also emotionally draining. The sort of emotional labour that you invest in, always proving yourself to other people, um, is the wrong way of living. It means that you have an identity that's completely carved in terms of resistance and there's nothing left for yourself. And so I told them to be, you know, I was very upfront and I said, you define who you are, don't speak back to racism, um, create spaces that are away from it so that your life isn't dominated by it and don't be apologizing for who you are. You decide on your own terms who you are.
1: As someone who's done a PhD, you, not me, (laughs) you've written, this is your 11th book and it's a very funny book when Michael met Mina is a very funny book and it would be interesting to know how you go about looking at um, some of the very dark news stories based on the field work that you've done. How does that Translate into something that's funny for young people.
2: Yeah, because um, I mean that's like that's the the irony and the paradox of life. We, you know, we tend to think that if you have Racism and misogyny and um, homophobia, for example, and ableism—that you know—it's always going to be dark and evil. um, And we forget the, like, the irony of life is people's complexities and contradictions. And it's in those contradictions that I find the humor. And um, you know that the ugly sits beside the beautiful. And and it's always harder for people to actually confront that. It's so easy for us to think of every racist as somebody who's got a Ku Klux Klan outfit on or somebody who screams "Go back to where you came from" in public transport. It's very easy for us to dismiss them as racist, and they are. What's harder is to dismiss people who are nice, people who are, you know, pleasant, who are kind, and who still have very racist views. And that's why I try to do with my books is to try and actually look at those people because it's harder to disavow yourselves um, of racism when somebody's nice and, you know, sort of the, the "I'm not racist" but or the um, the racism that's couched in the very liberal language. But in terms of humor, I mean, it, it's very easy to find it like I I, you know I was interviewing people and one guy was so against multiculturalism and Muslims and just couldn't he really really felt very strongly that Australia needed to return to the white Australia policy and then during the course of the conversation revealed his wife is Japanese I mean you just can't (laughs) write this stuff and make it up you know (laughs) so these sorts of contradictions I, I feel you know bring out the humor
1: We feel such a sense of today's Australia in this book and it's not every day that you can pick up a book to see your suburb, your suburb name, the roads that you drive down, the the bus routes that take you to school in a book. What books felt like home for you when you were growing up? Yeah, um,
2: not many because I was one of those teenagers who, or even probably, you know, younger than that, who was just so obsessed with books from the UK and the US and um, so for me it was... You know, those are the books that I just read and absorbed, Uh, you know, Sweet Valley High, Babysitter's Club, um, you know, and and it was reflected in my writing, all my writing always took place in the US or the UK, it was, you know, just, there was, my imaginative world was never Australia, Um, it was very rare for me to pick up a book and see my world in 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 that book if it was a book in Australia it was always set in the outback and just has no you know like absolutely no relevance to my own life but I feel that now it's so different and it's so much more exciting because the YA scene in Australia is just so so amazing
1: we hear a lot about diversity in lots of different areas in Australia one of them being YA and why does it matter that we're not just talking about someone's culture in a book is that enough for diversity or is you know there's a lot at play isn't there when we're talking about identity yeah definitely and, and diversity is one of those words that i think it's it's great
2: if it leads us to ask the tough questions i don't want it to be used as sort of a tokenistic way of saying let's just check a tip you know you know tick up tick a checklist of sort of um what we th- figure as diversity and all the time it's centered around you know the heteronormative white center that for me is not diversity that's just people managing diverse others and it's about really starting to think about questions of equality and what do we f- mean as mainstream or what do we see as exotic you know deviations from the mainstream um, and to recognize that whiteness is a culture in itself and we never think about it in that way we always think that that is the universal And likewise, sexuality, like, you know, there's so many things that we think of as just, you know, distractions from the norm. And I think that's the real questions around diversity. And one more thing which I think is really important in the YA scene and the literary scene in Australia is that we don't just talk about diversity without changing the actual structures. Of power that manage that diversity so we need to see reviewers from more you know not just from white backgrounds we need to see you know awards committees we need to see um the media the people who are um organizing festivals the curators of art that when that's where you that's when you really see change happening
1: so when you were young and you didn't see yourself or Australian things in the books that you were reading do you think that had a negative impact on you at all I mean you've ended up writing 11 books you think a lot about the current issues of today what's the difference now with a young person growing up to have all of these books available to them that maybe do feel more like it's about them
2: yeah I I keep reflecting on this because you know on the one hand I still fell in love with those books and, and that's the power of story um you know i it, it, it's more when I look at it, so when I intellectualize it now, it's more the fact that um, sort of a resentment about the fact that I, as a racialized person, have to constantly invest that energy into walking in other people's shoes, usually white shoes. And that now has co- that has effects on people's life opportunities and chances and way of thinking. I can understand how that has framed and structured everything around the world that we live in now. But as a young person, I didn't see it that way. The only thing that pro- that probably I did feel was when I was a teenager and, and I started to um, become, you know, being Muslim and Arab was no longer sort of a description, it was an accusation because of the Gulf War and 9-11. That, that's when I started to realise that, the power of story to make change. And, and that's when I felt that, that yawning gap in literary, literary, literary fiction, um, when it came to people of my sort of background,
1: it's interesting you talk about walking in other people's shoes because that's exactly what you've had to do in when Michael met Mina to get into the shoes of people who hold views that are, you know, anti-refugee and what have you. So, how did you do that? How was that experience for you? And was it easy for you to sympathise with people whose views are, I'm assuming, drastically different to your own?
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, the whole the whole issue of writers walking in other people's shoes and, uh, uh, you know, in the sort of aftermath of Lionel Shriver and cultural appropriation, I think the main issue is, are you as a writer appropriating somebody else's voice? Are you taking up space from a marginalised voice? Are you conscious of power questions of power and agency and and if i can tick off you know be satisfied that i can speak to those questions then i do feel comfortable writing um from those point of points of view and my field work with the phd research was completely like my phd was about islamophobia from the point of view of the perpetrators so i spent all that time you know getting into their heads um trying to understand it and that's why i felt i was you know able to write from their point of view
1: knowing the innermost thoughts of people who um, are Islam- Islamophobics is it difficult to keep going day to day knowing the amount of hate that some people hold in their hearts?
2: No and I tell you why it's because as it, when I first started the research um, I got quite depressed because I felt I was listening to all of these um, you know people saying the most appalling things. And it was only as I started to read about sort of the the scholarship around race and Islamophobia and history that I realized that if you see racism as an individual thing first of all you you will never well the main thing is that nothing's going to change because at the ultimately it's about systems and structures and it's about institutions and and the weight of historical sort of the legacy of, of, of race the historical legacy of race and so it's it's like looking at patriarchy um, if i were to invest all my anger at patriarchy at the guy who catcalls you know at a construction site what on earth is that going to change um, you fight patriarchy you fight the systems of misogyny and it's exactly the same with race so i was a lot it was a lot easier for me to sit with people It didn't mean that they got away with, you know, it wasn't an excuse for them, but it meant that when it comes to the energy I invest into anti-racism, I take on the real power structures and hopefully then that will filter to people on a day-to-day level.
1: Would you say there's much optimism when you're talking to young people? You spend quite a lot of time talking to young people, not just this week, but in general if it's I could
2: say it's optimism but I do feel that there's a lot more awareness about what's happening Um, I feel that they're a lot more mature than than teenagers were when I was a a teenager they're a lot more worldly um, and that's probably the impact of social media and um, and I feel that they just it's also the fact of multicultural um, so the way that politicians problematise multiculturalism is one thing, but the fact of multiculture is something that you cannot avoid in Australia. And it's that fact that is shaping their sort of interactions with other people and their exposure to different points of view. And I think that's probably the, the most optimistic thing that you can say about this moment in time.
0: Jennifer Wong speaking with Randa Abdel Fatah at last year's Sydney Writers' Festival for RN's Books and Arts. And Rhonda's book, When Michael Met Mina, is published by Pan Macmillan Australia. I'm Sarah Konoski, and you're with RN Summer.